I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah 61 this morning. We're, last week we started this series called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, and we're reflecting on this good world that God made and how we live in the midst of this good creation yet recognize that it is deeply broken, that there are so many things in our world that are not the way they're supposed to be, not the way God created them to be, not the way God intends them to be. And last week we talked about this idea of shalom, that God created the world good, this beautiful, universal flourishing of God's shalom in the world, and that shalom is this beautiful thing of, of being in relationship or loving union with God, with others, within ourselves, and with the planet. And uh, we explored this good creation that God made, and then the rapid downfall of shalom into this recognition that shalom is shattered, and that Jesus came to bring hope, healing, and to restore shalom. So I want to look at this ancient text this morning from Isaiah 61, and then we're going to look at a passage out of Luke 4 where Jesus reads this very passage. So let's start in verse 1 of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So let's, uh, let's look at these verbs that are used to proclaim, sent me, to bind up, to proclaim, to release, to proclaim, to comfort, to provide, to bestow. And, and who are these directed towards? The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, all who mourn, those who grieve. Um, this uh, person speaking says, two powerful things are happening. One, the Spirit of God is on me, and that Spirit has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners, all who mourn, those who grieve. So uh, this morning I want to start talking about kind of individual uh, brokenheartedness, mourning, uh, grieving, and then uh, expand it to look more globally at uh, brokenheartedness, mourning, grieving, because I think we need to be able to deal with our own stuff well so that we can look outside of ourselves. So, uh, I believe that we need to go inward deeply in order to go outward authentically. If we're called to be a people who have God's Spirit in us, it is the Spirit of God that does a healing work in us so that the same Spirit of God 
can take us outward to bring the hope and healing of Jesus to a broken world. And so this morning, I don't know what pain or heartache or grief you may have walked in the doors with, uh, but I know this promise. There, there is a promise that one has come to restore the brokenhearted, to, to give hope to all who mourn and all who grieve. Uh, <clears throat> when I was a child, my mom's best friend, uh, her name's Jan, uh, they hung out all the time, almost every day, if I recall correctly. And uh, Jan had a daughter named Lori, and Lori was a year younger than me. And so Lori and I grew up together. We were always hanging out together, uh, best friends when we were in our childhood years. And uh, Jan's husband and my dad were good friends, so often they would, the two couples would get together, which meant that Lori and I were hanging out together when the two couples were hanging out together. And so we grew up together. We were like sister and brother. And as the years went on into high school, we, we each kind of uh, got our own group of friends, but we always remained friends, giving each other birthday gifts and Christmas gifts, and we always remain connected. I went off to one college, she went off to another college. I got married and went to seminary. She went to med school. In med school, she met her future husband. They both became medical doctors. And they decided, you know what, we're doctors. We can live wherever we want. Uh, and they, so they chose sunny Arizona. And so uh, her parents said, they're in Arizona. Let's move to Arizona. So her parents moved to Arizona, and for, I think, uh, about 15 years now, they've all lived in Arizona. And my friend, Lori, and her husband, Jeff, uh, have three young children and have been enjoying life uh, in Arizona. And then last week, Friday, hit, where Jeff was told, uh, you have stage four liver cancer, and you have six months to live. And they've been processing this for over a week now. And uh, they didn't tell their children until this past, week, uh, past Friday. So they waited a week to tell their children to process it, to pray through it, to, to meet with their friends and pray, uh, and recognizing that apart from radical intervention and a, and a miracle from God, he has approximately six months to live. And so they told their kids this past Friday, and as you can imagine, their children did not respond well to the news that their daddy is likely going to die. Uh, this breaks my heart for my friend Lori, uh, for Jeff, for their children. Uh, this is something that clearly is not the way it's supposed to be. God did not create a world to be filled with death and heartache and disease and brokenness. And yet, this is the reality in which we live. Uh, what do we do with this pain? What do we do with this heartache? How do we handle the reality of a deeply broken creation that we find ourselves in? Uh, what do you do with yours? What, what grief, what pain, what heartache are you carrying this morning 
that maybe no one else knows about because it's, it's so deeply painful. Uh, you've never shared it with anyone. We live in a world where we walk around and we see people every day. People created in the image of God that are carrying deep wounds and deep, deep pain. Uh, the, the number of people who have suffered from physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, mental trauma, who don't talk about it because they're carrying around shame that they don't need to be carrying around. Uh, I believe the church is called to be a place that is a safe place to talk about these deep pains that we carry around with us, to expose them for what they are, and to experience the healing Jesus offers us, the healing God offers us in community. Uh, let's flip over to Luke chapter 4. I want to look at Luke 4 because uh, Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 in Luke 4. Luke 4 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. One of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And Luke tells us in Luke 4, verse 1, that Jesus, full of the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So this is the same spirit who we talked about last week that was hovering over the waters, hovering over the chaos in Genesis chapter 1, and out of the chaos brought beauty, brought order, brought shalom. This is the same spirit that when Jesus was baptized in Luke chapter 3, Starting in verse 21, uh, the same spirit that hovered over Jesus in the waters of baptism and anointed Jesus to come out of those waters to bring shalom to everyone. And in Luke 4, it's the same spirit that Jesus is filled with that leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the what? The spirit. The same Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a vital part of the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus does nothing apart from being in communion with his Father through the Spirit. And news about Jesus spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
So this scripture that was written by Isaiah long before the time of Jesus, Jesus enters the synagogue in Nazareth, he reads from this text, and he says, today, it's fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one. I'm the one who the Spirit is on. I'm the one who the Spirit has anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the prisoner, the oppressed, the marginalized. Today, this is fulfilled <clears throat> in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked, and so they're shocked by this because they know this, this has been written, this ancient text in Isaiah has been written, and, and many people were anticipating that this would come to fulfillment in the promised Messiah. The word anointed means Messiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, and the spirit has anointed me, made me Messiah. And so Jesus is basically saying in this synagogue, in Nazareth, where he was raised, I'm the Messiah. I'm the long-awaited one. And all the people in the synagogue, these are mostly people who have seen him grow up. This is the town Jesus grew up in. They've seen him as a little kid running around. They've watched him grow up in their midst. And now here he is, approximately 30 years old, saying, that text, it was written about me. I am the hope of the world. This text was written about me, and they're, they're amazed. And they say, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, we knew this kid. He was, he was running around playing. We, we knew this kid. Is this possible? This is amazing. And then Jesus says, verse 23, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And so... Uh, They've heard about what Jesus has been doing, that he's been going from town to village to town to village, and he's been healing, and he's been doing these miracles. And Jesus says, that, that's what you want, isn't it? You want a magic trick of some sort. Uh, but I'm not going to do that for you here. Verse 24, truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I, wouldn't that be amazing to see? I, what is the scene like? They, this crowd, they, they riot, and they take Jesus to the cliff, and they're going to throw him off, and then the text just said, but he just walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Uh, so when Jesus reads Isaiah 61, the people are not upset about that. When he says, today this was fulfilled in your hearing, the people aren't upset about that. In fact, they spoke well of him, and they were in awe. What upsets this crowd in the synagogue in Nazareth? 
what is it that upsets them? It's when Jesus reminds them of a couple of stories in their history. See, here's the thing with Israel. They had said, we're God's favorite. We know we're God's chosen nation. We know we're blessed by God. And there's no one better than us. And then Jesus reminds them, but there are these stories in the history of Israel where God sent his prophets to foreigners, to a widow in Zarephath, but no one in Israel, to Naaman, who had leprosy, an enemy of Israel, and healed Naaman, but no one in Israel. This is why they want to kill Jesus. Because he has reminded them that God cares about the outsider, the oppressed, the foreigner, the weak. Not only them, but everyone. And they want to kill him for it. Jesus has questioned their sense of entitlement and has reminded them that God loves and cares for everyone, all humans, everywhere, and they want to kill Jesus because he's told them this, because he's reminded them of the heart of God for all people. Um, There are a number of things that uh, strike me about this, that I think about about this. Uh, But there's uh, one thing I want to talk about that um, is particularly striking, mainly because uh, we've seen it happening in the news over this past week, and it has to do mainly with Haiti. Uh, I want to talk about the country of Haiti for a few minutes and what they've been through, primarily as it relates to natural disasters. They've been through a lot in their history. They've been through uh, a lot of corruption, corrupt governments, uh, um, all kinds of things that we could talk about. Particularly want to talk about natural disasters in light of Hurricane Matthew and um, how this nation has suffered in many ways. And so I'm going to start in 2004 and move forward. There are plenty of natural disasters before that, but in 04, torrential rains caused 1,232 deaths. This wasn't even a hurricane. This was just torrential rains that caused 1,232 deaths. It left 31,000 people displaced. But later that year, a hurricane did hit, Hurricane Jean, and it killed 1,870 people, and 300,000 people were displaced. And then in 2005, there was Hurricane Dennis, Hurricane Wilma, and Tropical Storm Alpha that left many dead and displaced in their wake. And then 2010 hit. And that January 10th, 2010, earthquake in Haiti left approximately 200,000 people dead. And they have no idea how many were displaced. Uh, far too many to count. And then in 2016, just this past week, uh, estimates, best estimates are around 850 people dead right now from Hurricane Matthew. 
and more than 35,000 people displaced. It, it makes me ask, how, how much can one small nation endure? Uh, the country of Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, per capita income is around $250, so less than a dollar a day that people in Haiti live on, which leaves them in desperation. They'll, they'll, they'll do anything to try to feed their families. This uh, storm has left many farms devastated. There's an impending food crisis in Haiti right now. Um, and, and so the people of Haiti will do whatever they can to try to feed their families uh, and, and just survive. Uh, there's a picture, I have an aerial photo right there. That uh, yellow line is the border between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. What it shows is the Dominican Republic has a large forested area and Haiti does not. Uh, the reason for this is primarily because of the poverty in Haiti and they're thinking that uh, one way I can make some money is cut down trees and sell the wood. And this happens in a lot of poor countries where they will deforest in order to survive. Um, and so Haiti not only wrestles through these massive natural disasters, but when they hit, because there's such deforestation, what happens when massive rains hit in a deforested area? Mudslides. And so then mudslides kill people and destroy homes. And so it's just this cycle, this downward cycle of one thing after another. And so uh, one of our partners here at Bay Marin is an organization called Plant with Purpose. And we partner with Plant with Purpose because they focus on uh, economic development among the rural poor, environmental uh, sustainability, and spiritual development. They have a, this trifecta, if you will, of their focus of how to engage and come alongside the poor in our world. And uh, Plant With Purpose has had a presence in Haiti for uh, two, three decades now. And so they're already there. They already have people, uh, locals, local Haitians who live there that are already there to provide help and assistance. And uh, one of uh, our one of the things we uh, do when it comes to outreach is we look for organizations that help people escape the cycle of poverty. And so we, we like to engage and work with organizations that uh, typically in the quote unquote charity realm, there are organizations that focus on relief and there are organizations that focus on development. Uh, and we primarily partner with organizations that focus on development because we want to help people get out of this cycle of poverty. And so when we uh, partner with a place like the Gilead House, we want to come alongside the Gilead House to, to uh, serve these women so they can get out of this cycle of poverty, of domestic abuse, of all these issues that uh, keep bringing women and children that are at risk down. And uh, with Plant With Purpose, we want to help come alongside them to help people in poverty get out of the cycle of poverty so that they can begin to provide for themselves and for their families. Uh, and so we primarily focus on development. But when disaster strikes, Plant With Purpose focuses on development. But when disaster strikes, we need to provide relief. 
we need to provide immediate relief. And, and this is what an organization like Plant with Purpose does, is they recognize uh, texts like this where Jesus says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news for the poor uh, isn't showing up after a hurricane and giving them a Bible. Good news for the poor is social change. It's change that helps them not just survive, but hopefully one day thrive in a context that feels so utterly hopeless. And so, as a church, I'm proud to be a part of a church that says, yes, good news is proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, as the one who died and rose again. Good news also, out of Jesus' own mouth, is providing hope for a future in this life. Uh, we want to provide hope for a future in this life and in the life to come. This is the holistic view of the gospel that Jesus comes proclaiming, that there is hope for the poor, there is hope for the oppressed, there is hope for the downcast, there is hope for the marginalized, and the same spirit that anointed Jesus to proclaim this good news is the same spirit he sent his church. Jesus said some radical words uh, you will do even greater things than I have done. How is that possible? How can the church do even greater things than what Jesus did in his life and ministry? Because Jesus, by his Spirit, lives in you and through you, and now it's global. Jesus, by his Spirit, can bring hope and change to the whole world because we too are anointed by the same spirit to bring hope into broken places. We're invited to live into this same spirit that Jesus possessed and that he freely gave to us and invites us to join him in the work of restoring shalom in this world. Let's look back at Isaiah 61. I want to read this again, and as I read it this time, I want us to keep in mind Jesus reading this, and then also what, what does this mean to put ourselves into this text, that as we read, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. It's, it's on us. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on us. Because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Now, all who mourn, all who grieve, uh, I, I think 
living in the wealthiest nation in the world, I, I think we can agree that uh, it's not only the poor who mourn and grieve, right? God seems to have a particular heart for those on the underside of power. Jesus came and ministered to the weak, the least, the lost. He also ministered to Zacchaeus, who was extremely wealthy. And so the, the heartache that people in wealthy countries experience is also very real and not to be ignored. Uh, the rate of depression and suicide in the wealthiest countries in the world is astronomical. We experience grief and heartache too. So don't hear me wrongly this morning. This is about the whole world. We all need this hope that Jesus brings us. That there is healing for the brokenhearted. There is hope for those who mourn and grieve. When our hearts are downcast, there is a spirit that brings hope and joy in the midst of that pain. And Jesus gave us that spirit. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. <clears throat> they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so those who are brokenhearted, who are captives, who are prisoners, who mourn, who grieve, uh, what do they receive? Beauty, joy, garment of praise. They'll be called oaks of righteousness. Uh, I, I think this is vital for us to embrace because if, if we are finding our identity in anything other than the risen Christ who says, you have beauty, you have joy, you have praise, you're an oak of righteousness, uh, if we find our identity in our pain rather than the one who gives us hope in the pain, uh, then it's going to be extremely difficult for us to get outside of ourselves in order to bring that same hope to others who are broken, whether here or in the world. And so it's vital for us to embrace what Jesus has given us by his spirit. Beauty, joy, praise, righteousness. And, and then these people, the, the broken, the, the ones who grieve, those who mourn, uh, the oppressed, the poor, it is these people who, verse 4, will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Rebuild, restore, renew. This, this is what we get invited into. This movement of Jesus to be a people who rebuild, who renew, 
who restore. Uh, we need to experience God's rebuilding, renewing, restorative spirit in our hearts and lives so that we can extend that to a broken world. David Bentley Hart, he says, the cross of Christ is not, after all, simply an eternal validation of pain and death, but their overthrow. Jesus, when he goes to the cross, he, he enters into our pain and our suffering. He enters into the pain and the suffering of the world and experiences all of it on the cross. But it's not just to identify with our pain and our suffering that he goes to the cross. It's to overthrow it. It's to defeat it once and for all. And so, when we come to this table and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, we remember that Jesus suffered for us. We, we know that Jesus experienced all pain and all suffering and all sin and all brokenness and all heartache on the cross and all death. We also believe he overthrew it. He defeated it. And a day is coming when he will return and we will experience things as they're supposed to be. No longer broken, no more heartache, no more pain, no more suffering. Shalom restored. So this morning, when you come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, uh, I want to invite you to do two things. To, to focus on two things, to reflect on two things. Uh, one, what, what pain, what heartache, what mourning, what grief do you feel in your own heart, in your own soul? Uh, and invite Jesus to begin a work of healing or continue the work of healing that's already begun. And then secondly, uh, look outside of yourself and where in your community, in your friendships, in your family, uh, or in the world, do you see pain? Do you see heartache? Do you see grief? Do you see mourning? Do you see death? That the spirit of the risen Christ is inviting you to enter into that pain, to, to be a presence of hope, a voice of healing, an agent of change in the midst of that. God, we're grateful for your goodness and your love. We're grateful for these words. Thank you for the scriptures that we could open them this morning and reflect on them and, and see this hope that Jesus has brought us and that Jesus fills us with to be agents of hope and healing in the world. God, uh, make us a people who embrace our calling. Make us a people who embrace these uh, garments of praise, the joy, 
that we would truly be oaks of righteousness who rebuild, who restore, who renew. We pray this in the name of Jesus. So this morning, as I said, I, I believe we need to embrace these so that we can experience the, the healing of Christ in our own lives and bring that healing to the world. And so this morning, as you partake of the bread and the cup, uh, I also have oil, and I would love to anoint you and, and simply proclaim the oil of joy, the, that the joy of the Lord is yours. And that joy can spread from here out through the whole world.